show. All right. Hey, everybody. We're talking about uh, season one, uh, episode three, believe it or not. And I'll explain that uh, of uh, Star Star Trek Discovery. And uh, the title of the episode is Context for Kings. So context is for kings. And let me give you a little backstory on why why we're starting that in episode three. Well, one episode three is the first episode on the discovery. And uh, let me see. Let me let me let me give my context and then the broader context. Uh, really, some stunning visuals on this show. And so, Star Trek Discovery is a new uh, Star Trek series. Uh, not everyone may know that, uh, so I'm not trying to uh, it'd be too obvious uh, or you know over-explain things. Uh, Star Trek explain things, uh, but, and also I don't like I can't read. I worry about reading too much about these shows because I don't want it to bias my sleepy time coverage. Uh, but so it launched recently with a pilot episode that was on CBS. And then uh, episode two, three, and four, when at the time I'm recording this, have aired. Uh, they are on CBS's page streaming service, uh, CBS All Access. Uh, and I think there's like two weeks free or 30 days free. So you could watch the third episode. The third episode or the second episode might have been free too. But so there's a two part pilot. Uh, just like our friends over at uh, TNG. Uh, and now I think that all got aired in syndication. And the two-part uh, pilot of uh, Star Trek Discovery was very um, cinematic, I would say, and very movie-like. And it had uh, uh, Michelle Yeoh and then some of the cast from Star Trek Discovery and maybe some guest casting and a lot of Klingons, and it kind of just, it was less of a pilot. I don't know if it was more of a pilot or a prequel. I mean, it introduced us uh, to one of the main characters of Star Trek Discovery, or no, I guess to, well, we'll see, because it's a new, new season. Yeah, I mean, a new series. Uh, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out a way to talk about that. It's sleepy and as generous as they can be. Uh, but it's also paid, so, so it's behind a paywall. It's five ninety nine, and I did sign up for one month of CBS All Access. I'm not exactly sure I'm going to renew that, uh, just because I try to watch where my money goes. And the thing I worry about the streaming services is, like with Sleep With Me, if you're listening on a regular basis and you support the show, it's kind of like a co- it goes together where a streaming service in the past, sometimes I forget that I, it's auto renewing or I'm only watching one show once a week. And that's the thing with CBS all access. I'm like, well, if I'm only going to watch just one show once a week, uh, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sold on it. And there's also, uh, the added difficulty of the, um, I watch so much Star Trek, the next generation, now, I have watched a couple of Next Generation movies uh, during my uh, year plus uh, of doing sh- episodes about Star Trek Next Generation. But uh, it has not been, it, it's very jarring to go from Star Trek The Next Generation to Star Trek Discovery. Not in a, um, they're just very different shows. And I think one of it is just the newness of Star Trek Discovery. 
And it, uh, I, I have not discovered a lot of the um, assets, the sleepy time assets that Star Trek The Next Generation has. I guess it just is like a, like another well-worn glove. Uh, I'm very used to Star Trek The Next Generation. And I'm just not 100% confident I can make, I know I can make a Star Trek Discovery um, sleepy, but I don't know if I can do it. I don't know how many episodes are in the first scene. So I'm just going to do a few test episodes, and I think it'll, it'll be fun, but uh, I think it might be a shorter run as an experiment, uh, like uh, to, to test, to, to boldly go, boringly go where other podcasts are as well. Uh, because there's plenty of podcasts about all of these series that you can listen to during the day. And it, it's not, it's, it's just really different than Star Trek The Next Generation. I don't know if it, it, it's like, uh, it's almost, it's it's like almost like reading a book and then seeing the movie as soon as you finish the book or something. And just, it's just really having trouble uh, digging my teeth all the way in, I guess. Uh, yeah, but who knows? In the next two episodes, I don't know what's coming. So. Uh, we'll see, but, uh, so we're going to do four episodes probably of, uh, Star Trek, uh, Discovery. And this is the first episode, Context is for Kings. And what does this say? Oh, they do, they could do, do a cool last time. And then it's six months later, we see from the events from the pilot, which eventually, let's see, the events from the pilot, we'll learn what happened to our main character through the episode. So you didn't really need to see it because with the last time, you really could have missed the uh, pilot, though the pilot is very exciting. And I think to understand a lot of the Klingon context, you probably need to see the pilot. Uh, but I think the the human side and the Vulcan side and the uh, humanoid alien side that aren't the, the um, Federation side gets pretty explained, pretty well explained in the first uh, two uh, episodes on the disc, uh, Star Trek Discovery. And our main character is one Michael Burnham, and she's known, and she's the opening image, uh, sitting on a ship, she, a frown on her face, uh, strange electric clouds behind her. And uh, she she looks uh, like uh, like haggard and tired and, and, and down. And uh, there, there's other people on the ship, and they're talking about mines. Uh, it seems like some sort of prison transport, which we know she is a uh, mutineer, or we'll find out, I guess, that uh, uh, they're talking about mines and trouble. And there's three other conflict. If they talk about that. They don't like Andorians, uh, cold in the wrong places. Uh, yeah, cold in the wrong places. And then they say, that's Michael Burnham, the mutineer. The other, uh, one of the other criminals start talking about it. Uh, and they say, well, she's a legend. Uh, she started the war with the Klingons, more or less. And, uh, one of the, the other prisoners, it's a woman says, she's my cousin was, uh, like, uh, you really messed things up, uh, for 8,000 people. And Michael Burnham, she says, uh, 8,186. Then there's a bump in a proximity alert, and there's like uh, these uh, crystallized bugs outside. And the pilot has to get in the EV suit and uh, go outside. G54, G55-4 or something feeds 
on electric. Oh, maybe that's the thing. It feeds on electricity. I didn't know the pilot would go out and do the work itself to clear off the ship. Uh, that was my first WTF of the episode. And then these hardened criminals get nervous that the pilot's out there clearing off the ship. Burnham, Michael Burnham, she's hard. She's just like, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, but they're like, hey, pilot, get back on board. Uh, and then the pilot uh, decides to, to go out on a stroll. And so now they're on uh, autopilot and they try to break their handcuffs, which seems strange to me that they hadn't tried that already because there was just the one pilot. Uh, uh, like uh, Michael Burnham doesn't, though. She's kind of just got this look. And then this great light comes. It draws her side eyes. And we see a ship, much like the Star Trek, Star Trek Enterprise, just a little more triangular. Uh, throw a tractor beam on the shuttle that they're on. A lot of glowing, beautiful colors as the shuttle gets tractor beamed on. Yeah, Michael Burnham barely relaxed. There's mu- rescue music, kind of good effects. It was strange that the prison transport looks like uh, a little bit like a hot rod. And we get uh, inside the ship. First, there's a camera flyby of the ship, uh, which we see that this is a cool-looking ship. Uh, and it's the NCC-1031 Discovery, USS Discovery, maybe. And, oh, then there's the opening for the episode. Uh, let's see. The, the The opening's pretty cool. It has uh, There's, like, different old-school... I didn't watch a lot of original Star Trek. Most of the time, it was after 4.20 in the morning, back when I lived that life. Uh, and so... And I would always have some sort of weird deja vu where I'd be like, is this the only Star Trek... I've seen this Star... Every time it's 4.20, I'm watching the same Star Trek episode. Uh, but there's cool, like the, the, there's a little bit of old school Star Trek music and even there's some sound effects and even some of the, um, equipment they use. Uh, there's no characters though on the, uh, opening, uh, or sp- like it's a, but it's a really, a really cool, uh, kind of like almost like a jam watching it now. It's almost like a James Bond opening a little bit, uh, but it, like, uh. When you watch it on mute, it's like, huh, this is like a James Bond music video. Uh, but it's Star Trek Discovery. And, uh, yeah, so they're playing the Star Trek music. Uh, at some point, uh, what does this say? Chief of Wits, uh, Time to Bay, Commander Landry. I don't know what Chief Wits, Chief Wits might have got called to something. I, I like to like, uh, oh, Chief Wits uh, to Med Bay. I like writing down sometimes when the, uh, um, whatever the PA system comes on. We meet Commander Landry. She's the head of security. Full disclosure, I had a huge crush on this actress, uh, when she was on, uh, of course, the major, uh, science fiction show whose name I can't remember because now I'm recording a podcast. Uh, Battlestar Galactica. She was at the, the, um, like the chief, chief of staff for, for the president. I think, uh, uh, let's see. And she says, she looks like we're unloading a bunch of garbage. She, she's talking about the prisoners, uh, and she doesn't like, uh, Michael Burnham at all. And then she snaps, uh, she snaps her fingers. She says, on me, like, follow me. And everybody's impressed at a brand new ship, all the prisoners. Uh, there's way more metal 
there's shirts with silver, there's black badges. Everyone's talking about this. Like, is this a science vessel? Uh, what do black badges mean? And then uh, Commander Landry, she says, who's hungry? You got to feed the, the prisoners or whatever. Uh, then we see uh, uh, Michael Burnham. She's like has an awkward cafeteria moment like in high school. She's also taken in a lot of the ship. Uh, and then she sits with the tough kids at the table and they, they everybody acts tough like they're in high school. So then the uh, Commander Lander says, the captain wants to see you, Michael Burnham. This will be tough. Tough um, Seuss Manam. Oh, maybe that's the name. So Landry's with uh, Michael Burnham, and then she says, oh, geez, you think you're pretty tough, huh? Uh, Vulcan martial arts. Uh, maybe you should stick to logic. Uh, that's what she says to Michael Burnham, Commander Landry. And uh, Michael Burnham's very uh, poker-faced. Uh, yeah, then they're on the bridge, and the dude from her old ship's there, uh, whose name, of course I can't use it, like... Uh, and there's a young woman from her original ship. Those are both from the pilot. Like, so the, uh, the head science officer or the second, like on, in the pilot, Michael Burnham was, uh, number one and Michelle Yeoh, uh, was a commander. Uh, her name escape her commander name escapes me. And I think this dude who, who's a, not, he's a humanoid race. I'm not sure what race he is. Uh, Saru's his name. Uh, he's now number one on this ship. He was number two under Burnham on the other ship, I think, or maybe command. I don't know. And they talked about Anthony Rapp in the, uh, uh, opening and I'm a big Anthony Rapp fan. And he remind and he also reminds me of a lot of other uh, actors I'm a fan of. Uh, and I said, is this Anthony Rapp? Cause I didn't look at IMDB. So I said, is Anthony Rapp playing Anthony Rapp character? Or is he playing an alien? Yeah, but this guy, dude is really tall, this Saru. But I said, is that Anthony Rapp? But during the pilots, two pilot episodes. But in this episode, my question would be answered. Uh, so, that, like, uh, I, I was confused if this was Anthony Rapp or not. So that could talk, cause me a little uh, confusion for two and a half episodes. Uh, then we go into the ready room. Oh, there's lots of cool star, like classic sound effects. Uh, and she goes into the commander's ready room. The lights are low. Uh, standard C hum quote. Uh, oh yeah. This is like a standard to Star Trek. Uh, quote. He said, no matter how deep in space you are, it always feels like you can see home. The, this commander says, maybe it's just me. And he says, sorry about the light. I got these star eyes. We see his star eyes. He goes, I suffer light change. Uh, I have to change the light slowly, uh, which adds a little uh, mystery. And then he says, uh, his name's Gabriel Lorca, the commander. I already WTF'd it. Oh, because he has fortune cookies. This threw me off, too. He says, oh, geez, fortune cookies were a family business. Uh and uh, you want one? And I, I was confused that he was eating fortune cookies. Now, I do have friends that do like fortune cookies. And we, I have to, when they come visit, we go to a fortune cookie factory. And you can get flat fortune cookies without the to snack on. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what the um, 
like the mechanics of the the character liking fortune cookies is it was a little bit uh i, I don't know it was like a little bit disorienting to me uh also because there was never any um uh, discussion of fortunes that i remember but i could have missed that uh also, there's a cool map in Lorca's ready room of the front lines uh, during the war with the Klingons. And Lorca reminds us that she's like humans were really living in a paradise or all people with uh, replicator technology. He says, he's Michael Burnham. Can't believe you're on the manifest. Uh, looked at your file. Looked at your transcripts. Uh, and uh, you're really impressive. And uh, Michael Burnham says, uh, just, what am I doing here? And he goes, I don't know, it's a storm. Uh, and Michael Burnham's instincts, uh, she's like, geez, I want to be in prison for being a um, mutineer. I don't, that's what I want. Mordecai says, well, maybe the universe hates waste. Uh, we're going to work together. I think I'm going to work. You're going to work here. You're going to earn your stay. Uh, I'm not going to lock you up. I'm going to use your mind. Uh, uh, to help out on the ship. And at some point he comes around the desk and faces off with her. Because he says, she's me three days to get the lightning bugs off that plane anyway. Uh, he goes, we're at war. I need every trained mine available. She goes, I don't want to help. He goes, no, 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 no free rides on this sh- ship. Uh, she kind of backs up. I like how the, I like the, the physics of the scene. The only thing I with Michael Burnham of these two episodes is like you're trying to understand the character versus the fact that she was raised by Vulcans. Like, what's Vulcan in what's like her human emotions? Like, like, uh, like in some of the uh, body language, like I said, okay, well, is this supposed to be a cold Vulcan reaction or a tough human reaction? Or is uh, this uh, like impassivity or is she she really hurting inside? But he says, yeah, you're going to do some work starting tomorrow. Uh, 800. She goes back to her dorm room. Or actually, yeah, I guess it's kind of a dorm room. Awkward, I said, because she lies in bed. She she really seems exhausted. Uh, She touches her pillow and feels the thing that says USS Discovery. And I mean, like this really did uh, pull me out of story a little bit that it's like, okay, we're just going to give you a dorm room with a regular roommate. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It just drew me out of story a little. Um, but her roommate enters, uh, why did you put Sylvia? Her name's Tilly. Uh, maybe Tilly Sylvia. I don't know why I have Sylvia there, but uh, Tilly's really a, a nice character. She's a talker. If she was more like slightly calmer, she really goes on tangents. Uh, so she really gets a glare from Michael Burnham because she's doing this amused, uh, nervous talk. Uh, like, oh, she's like, uh, I'm a cadet Sylvia Tilly. Okay. So, yeah. I just made the assumption Tilly was really like, uh, but she goes, yeah, I talk when I'm nervous. Uh, and it goes, why are you nervous? Well, you're in my bed. I have a lot of allergies and I need you to get out of my bed and sleep in the other bed. Let me see. Tilly could have been, oh yeah, it could have been a part of my podcast. Uh, I could take her under my wing. She could make a sleep podcast. Uh, the character Tilly, Sylvia Tilly, Cadet Tilly. She's a cadet. I don't know if she's supposed to be our Wesley. Then there's a black alert on the ship. Uh, and everybody is like, what? And immediately Sylvia Tilly pretends she's goes to sleep. Uh, 
And what does it say? Not brief. Nope. Uh, 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 Burnham really wants to know what's going on. There's like water vapor in the air. And Tilly's just like, well, I'm getting, I'm sleeping. I can't answer any questions you have. Uh, I think at some point, uh, Burnham asks, but yeah, they go on this black alert. Uh, she fakes that she's asleep. Uh, Michael Burnham's like, what in the heck's going on? Why is there so many water drops? Then we go to commercial and, uh, let's see, still in bed. Tilly's awake, uh, 7.59 to eight minutes, uh, Matter synthesis cloud. I'm going to have to see what that is. Uh, right now, she says, Tilly, what's going on in the ship? And Tilly's got her, she, she's got her back to her. She's pretending to sleep. Uh, and then the commercials are rolling. But we'll see. Matter synthesis cloud. Maybe she just wakes up at 7.59. Uh, Burnham zips up. Uh, and she walks uh, out for her first day, and Saru's there. Very tall. Corte. What does that mean? Carte. Uh, he, oh, he's carrying a strange... Oh, <laughs> it was kind of a joke that I just butchered. Uh, he's carrying a crate and a bowl. He purchased a crate and pottery barn. Uh, like an expensive-looking bowl. With like a like just a kind of bowl you'd expect if you're going to a coffee table, but like a, a place that'd be on someone's coffee table that's got a really nice apartment. In my if it was in my apartment, it'd be full of like change and SD, many SD cards and uh, gum. But he's eating bluebirds out of it. Blue blueberries, excuse me, bluebirds. I apologize. So he's eating blueberries out of it. Uh, he says, "Here, try some blueberries." And she goes, man, these blueberries are way better than the blueberries in prison. And I was like, uh, oof, oh boy. Uh, uh, and he goes, well, it's probably like, uh, you know, the uh, atmosphere and not the, uh, not a, he almost had a data level joke where he says, it's not the reflection of the replicator. It's a reflection of the, uh, atmosphere. Uh, but, uh. Said blueberries, uh, like at a Federation prison, would be strange, I guess, to me. The people seem happy that are on the ship, like they're passing a lot of the crew. Something about 300 missions. I don't know what that is. Uh, and then Burnham tries to, oh yeah, it's, Burnham woke up right at 8 o'clock, or zips up her race 7.59. There's Saru. But she goes, so this is a science vessel? And, uh, he says something like, on this vessel, we take words seriously or something. He goes, I'm not telling you nothing. Uh, if you don't know from the captain, you're not going to find out from me. And then he's trying to, I think he's trying to leave her off somewhere. And then she goes, uh, Saru. And he goes, first officer, Saru. Also, Saru doesn't have eyelids. Uh, she goes, geez, that was a nice uh, speech you gave uh, with Michelle Yeoh's uh, thing. And he goes, are you trying to say you're sorry, that you feel regret? Uh, and she goes, I just want to get on this shuttle, uh, go back uh, to, I put a star here. Maybe it's from the dialogue. Uh, oh, our facilities can accommodate 300 science missions, is what Saru says. But uh, uh, she goes, I just want to get onto this shuttle uh, uh, to get out of here. Which I said for, she was going to be in prison for life, I think. Uh, so it just didn't quite uh, 
pulled me out of the story again a little bit. I said, well, uh, what, wouldn't she just roll with things? Uh, or is she worried about, I guess the captain does address it. So maybe I'm not giving it a few, a total, uh, a total flat, like a total, um, open heart, uh, uh, what's the name of that atonement? Like, uh, like that she just wants some kind of atonement. So Sar was kind of a mix of an android and, uh, like, uh, who else? Uh, uh, Sar was like a little bit behind the, uh, by the book. Uh, so let's see, what are they talking about? So now, right now they're talking, I just want to get back on the shuttle. Okay. Which is, she goes, I don't want any trouble here. And he says, oh, okay, this I thought was an important character moment because he says, well, I'm going to do a better job uh, anyway than you did in the two pilot episodes. You could tell it hurts her feelings. The camera's zooming in on her right now. So I think that was like a good moment to have empathy for uh, Michael Burnham because uh, she's so tough. That I think like there's other times, uh, but she's not in a contextually tough situation. This isn't like constant action. And it's also hard to understand her motivation totally. Maybe that's from being Vulcan. Um, uh, but then she gets into the science room and everybody's kind of, you know, it's her first day. They're kind of giving her a cold shoulder. Yeah, so she's looking for stamens. Everything goes by breath prints there. And uh, she goes, well, where's stamens? In that room, but she can only get in there with the correct breath. Uh, and they say, find a station. And she goes to take a science station next to Tilly. Tilly goes, there's a assigned seats, actually. And they put WTF again, because, uh, again, uh, Burnham has restricted access, but she starts walking around and looking at stuff. Uh, then Anthony Rapp comes in. So we get our first rap, rap rapping. And he brushes, like, uh, space, space sparkles off his shoulder, just like Jay-Z would. And he he does WTF. He goes, what are you doing? Who who the heck are you? Who told you to come here? Uh, I got to do, he goes, I'm Anthony Rapp. Uh, and she goes, oh, I got assigned here and uh, something. And he says something about a Beatles cover band, which, I mean, that would be a really confusing. I don't know. And then he goes, you know what? Fix this code. This code's mixed, mixed up. Uh, get to it. Uh, it's not like we have assigned seats. Get to a station. And then Tilly does like the high She goes, ooh, sorry, but the like, she just gulps, you know. Not assigned seats. Awkward. Then there's like a montage of uh, Burnham coding all night uh, or scanning code uh, in a uh, virtual reality computer, whatever, like augmented reality computer system. Again, like a uh, unsupervised uh uh, then we have like a FaceTime with exposition with uh, Anthony Rapp and Strahl talking about Sparians and being conservative and another ship uh, and Lorca pushing their ship to catch up with the old ship uh, with these experiments they're doing. You can see these two are very close, these two characters. And Anthony Rapp's character uh, is very concerned about the safety of this other crew, ship's crew, saying, geez, it really sounds like you're pushing the limits. I don't know how you're doing it, but uh, be careful. Uh, you're my one of my oldest friends. Uh, and they say, geez, together we're going to win these awards, but I'm more concerned with our friendship. 
And this is a character that Anthony Rapp, this is like right in his wheelhouse. Uh, and then they say lurker, like to, to P-O-L or parent over shoulder. What is it? P-O-S or whatever kids used to say in IRC chat. Because uh, he comes over the FaceTime shoulder. I'm always worried. I just feel like, yeah, like FaceTime, I guess stay, stay back when someone's FaceTiming. Stay out of the proximity. You could listen in, but uh, don't view in because you'll be on the camera. Uh, but then she talks about this code. She says she did find a mistake in the code. Uh, Anthony Rapp says, okay. And, and she she goes, well, I don't understand. What's with the bio, you know, bio stuff? He goes, hit the road, lurker. Then he breathes into the breath print and goes somewhere secret, and she watches. Uh, and I just felt like this was a little strange to leave for the character and for the technology of the ship. She, like, steals some of uh, Tilly's drool while Tilly's sleeping and uses it uh, in front of other employees to just go into the secret breath room that's blocked by breath print, um, which I said, this like... Uh, and I guess it was like, that's not nice. Why'd you guys steal Tilly's drool? Yeah, she's probably going to get a demerit for that. Uh, she just busts in. Uh, and I put my phone is more secure. Uh, then she goes into this darkened arboretum. And I, I didn't know how much of this was like a uh, backstory that gets played forwards. Is, is this why uh, Enterprise and TNG has a big arboretum or not? Uh, uh, or not, and she's amazed. And then we see the ship in space, the discovery in space. We see a Lorca worrying. Uh, then he gets a top secret uh, transmission above top secret. If it says top secret, uh, uh, something, something, oh, something, something, uh, oh, black alert incident. Uh, and he goes to talk to everybody in the science room. He says that Glenn's gone. So Anthony's raps upset, uh, that's the Glenn from FaceTime. They had a Bacchanalian failure or something. Uh, and he goes, Stamets, you're going to go check it out, and I want you to take Burnham. And he's like, what? Uh, he goes, go over to Glenn, get all their equipment to, for all the secret projects, bring it back. And he goes, there's like a little bit extra forward exposition. They say, Jesus, shielded, so we can't, we can't just transport it. we got to go there. And Anthony Rapp and Lorca, you can see a little tension between them because he's a scientist and Lorca's more of a military man. He goes, get it moving and take Burnham. And Rapp, uh, Stamets goes, and what? Uh, and then Saru says, well, she is the smartest person I've ever encountered in Starfleet. So, uh, you know, she would be an asset. He also says, this is not a democracy. Uh, which I put a ha and then, uh, oh, yes, yeah, so sir, what do you think? You go, well, she, mutiny aside, she's the smartest person I've ever encountered. Uh, then we get on the shuttle. There's like shuttle, ch like a, a nervous shutter, shutter chatter with Tilly that's inappropriate because it's, uh, uh, there's other people. There's two, there's two of the security guard officers, and then Stamets, I think, is flying the thing. Uh, Security chief, she's just sitting there listening to Tilly kind of apologize and uh, say, well, sorry, I'm so awkward, uh, but I'm excited to go on this mission. Uh, good practice for me. And then uh, Michael Burnham says, listen, I got by this conversation. I want to get in a, like a little sidebar here with uh, 
Stamets, a.k.a. Anthony Rapp. Uh, and let's see. Then they talk about some spiral correlation mix-up. Uh, uh, oh, no, that's when they get on there. They just talk about biology really quick. Uh, okay, it looks like Stamets is in the past. He's in the shotgun seat, and uh, someone else is flying it. Uh, but they had like a mix up with a spiral correlation. There's also a puppy dog loose on the ship. Uh, and, and they realized that also Klingons had visited the ship. Uh, and, uh, so they get in, one of the doors is jammed. There's Klingons sleeping everywhere. There's tears in the hall. Oh, they're talking about right now. They're talking about biological blooms, trying to get up to speed with the mission. Uh, is it plant-based biology or physics? And Anthony Rapp says biology and physics are the same thing. The quantum level, uh, there's no difference, uh, no difference at all. And she says, what about spores? And I don't know if spores are dark matter. Progenitors of pansperma are the building blocks of energy across the universe. Uh, physics and biology, no. Physics as biology. Astromycologist, because he's awe. That's what awe at the miracle of life. That's what Anthony Rapp says. So he does a lot of exposition. Like, yeah, me and me and the, uh, my friend over on the other ship, we thought we'd find the truth of the building blocks in our lab. But then, you know, like uh, military industrial complex stuff. And uh, here we are, not for truth, uh, but, you know, for military industrial complex. And he, he he's not happy. He does play a good, like, uh, beta bully, I guess you'd describe his character. And, I don't know, the whole time Michael Burnham's quizzing him, playing dumb like she didn't sneak onto the uh, thing, just which is a good move to extract more information. And he also gives more, he goes, Jesus, the work is going to do what he wants, so just be ready. Uh, like, whatever he thinks is going to advance his thing is how he's going to use you. Oh, so then we're on the ship, we see Hall tears, then Tilly shows this strange uh, streak of bravery where she thinks she sees uh, the puppy, and she says, hey, come out of the shadows. This was the highlight of the episode. A Klingon steps out of the shadows and shushes Tilly, and it was just really well done. I really liked it. Uh, and then Landry goes, uh, did that uh, Klingon just shush you? And then the puppy comes and licks uh, the Klingon. And then everybody says, set your phasers to puppy. We got to get this puppy. Uh, uh, but the puppy says, you can't catch me. Then they find the way the science part. And they say, well, geez, we got to get all the logs. Uh, because the puppy's going to drool on the computers and uh, mess up the telemetry. And there's a device in the reaction cube. Uh, Burnham says, I need a phaser. They say, no phasers for you. And she says, I thought it was set to puppy drool. Give it to me. So she climbs a ladder, the, uh, chasing after the puppy. Everybody else tries to get the equipment to leave. Uh, and then she does this long quote about uh, from Alice in Wonderland and Alice in falling down. There's also a mention of the Jeffries tube, which got mentioned on the Rascals episode of TNG. And then she says, she was the right size. And she says, go. And then she jumps onto the shuttle and they leave. Uh, then there's a cool zoom from the bridge, from the ship to the bubble. Uh, there's a bubble where the bridge is in the center. 
of the dish uh, of the Enterprise. Uh, uh, Burnham walks on. She's back in yellow uniform again. She has permission to come on the bridge. Uh, uh, Commander Arian. Oh, there's Commander Arian, uh, which is like a ventriloquist bot. like a ventriloquist dummy robot, uh, but just without the dummy part. Seems pretty smart. So that's good for the future of ventriloquist dummies. Now they're just ventriloquist uh, robots uh, in commanders, Commander Arian, in charge of the bridge while uh, Saru goes to talk. Uh, very pleased to Saru is... Uh, if only for if put if only for an emotional moment into reentry room. Uh, we'll see what that means. Even the thing catches up, uh, but she goes into the commander's ready room. There's lights on already. There's a Furby in a coffee bowl in a next uh, to the left of his uh, cookie bowl. And we get like a little dueling back and forth with dialogue between Lorca and, uh, Burnham, which the gist of it is, what am I doing here? Uh, what do you want? Uh, and Lorca basically says, she said, I want you to work, like the prison transport's going back, but uh, I'm going to, I want you to stay. She goes, has this all been on purpose? Has this been a test the whole time? Why would you do that? Uh, or he says, why would I do that? Why would I be testing you? And let's see, now she's on the bridge here. Saru's looking across. Uh, I didn't notice. Uh, there's a, a Commander Arian. Uh, Sorrow may have some like uh, platform type shoes. I did just saw them briefly. Um, but they're talking. Uh, oh, he's saying, yeah, I'm proud of you. Good thing you're leaving, but uh, a great job. Uh, you, you really did a good job. So, kind of a. a uh, a cult send off in some sense. Uh, Oh, yeah, he gives one more. He goes, you were a good officer until you weren't anymore. If only you hadn't. Uh, and she goes, yeah. So I don't know if that's like, again, building a connection with, uh, like, if he's like this parental role and then we're, we're, uh, uh, we're connecting with Barnum again. But she just has this tough role of being a tough Vulcan, so... Uh, but she comes down to uh, Captain's ready room says, what's up, Captain? And he says, yeah, I'd like you to work on this ship. Uh, she goes, what are you, nuts? Uh, no way. He's been setting this up the whole time. Uh, what does this say? She drops uh, some Genevieve. Uh, uh, he goes, well, I can't let you just go. Like, uh, you're, you're too important and too intelligent. Just go serve your time. He goes, well, she goes, why do you want me here? Oh, because you're a genius. Uh, she goes, yeah, I'm not here by accident. You brought me here. You've been testing me. Why would I do that? Uh, so they do a lot of question talking back and forth. She goes, well, you're doing some experimental technology, spore-based thingamajig, and that's prohibited. Oh, Geneva Protocols, she drops out of me. 1928 and 2155. No spores, and you want me to be the fall person because, uh, you know, I already got a bad reputation. And uh, he goes, well, actually, it's a little more complicated than that. 
He goes, we're not working anything Geneva-related at all. Uh, and he goes, side-to-side transport or something, like where they can transport from one part of the ship to the other. Uh, she goes, I'm not who you think I am. She goes, I was used to be a first officer. And I still have, she goes, I'm not going to be that any rank again, but I still have my pride and my um, ethics and morality, the fr- principles of the Federation of Planets that I live by. And he goes, don't worry about it. He goes, I know exactly who you are. He goes, you don't do things by the book, neither do I. Or at some, He goes, I know you love being right, but he says, yeah, something about it, you don't do it by the book, neither do I. Then they do a side-to-side uh, transport here, site-to-site transports. They go back to that science room, which is testing Bay Alpha, apparently. And he sends her into this chamber, the cha- one of the chambers. Uh, that's, he goes, Jesus, is this, I, I put, is this dark matter or something else? Is this what makes the holodeck work? I think that's an important question that'll probably be answered over this season or their second season. Because uh, she goes into this thing, and then he's able to surround her with these, uh, like, uh, sparkly spores, uh, which are some sort of uh, proto-matter, matter, I guess. Uh, mycelium spores, and then when she's surrounded by him, he's able to change it uh, yeah, into all these different locations. He's able to tra- like show her that like she's in um, all these. He goes, "This is a new way to transport the ship. Uh, uh, organic propulsion system." He goes, "That's what the Glen was trying to figure out uh, how to how to jump." But he goes, "We haven't quite figured it out here." It just gets the ship wet. She goes, oh, that's a black alert. Uh, he goes, yeah, this kind of thing would be like uh, uh, like better than hyperspace. You just appear somewhere and very little power because you'll be traveling on the spores of the universe. He goes, a microscopic web that spans the entire cosmos. Intergalactic ecosystem. Infinite number of roads leading everywhere. The veins and muscles that hold our galaxy together. Uh, it can be anywhere and gone in an instant, uh, the discovery. He goes, that's how we'll top these Klingons and uh, uh, win the war that somebody in here started, by the way. And then he takes her. He goes, imagine the possibilities. You could be in Rome. You could be on the beach. You could be, let's see where else they go. Uh, some other, Andoria. I know they go to Andoria. I think they go to Westeros or uh, Karth, I think, maybe. Let's see, there's music playing. Olari, uh, Andora, Andoria, Romulus. Uh, Blink, you missed Romulus. Uh, uh, Blink, you missed uh, some cave world. Uh, Blink again, you're on the Klingon planet. Uh, and then you're home like it never happened. And she's kind of shaken by all this or surprised. He opens the door. He goes, yeah, I chose you, but not for the reasons you think. Uh, he goes, because you're, you don't do it by the book. Uh, he goes, I like your style. He goes, you did the right thing, even though it wasn't, you know, a great cost to yourself. Uh, he goes, I need you, you're thinking next to me to win the war that you started.
He goes, universal laws for lackeys, context is for kings. And he says, what do you, what do you say? Uh, what is it to be? He, he's holding that uh, fortune cookie. What's in your future? What do you wish for? Atonement, redemption, uh, maybe something else. Uh, and then he says, you helped start a war. Why don't you help me end it? Uh, that's uh, what he says. Uh, and then he hands the cookie off. It takes up the whole thing, the whole screen. And then there's a shot of the ship. Uh, uh, then we see Sorrow. He's salting his tea. And he tucks in his, like, hair, which we'll find out what that is next episode. But he has, like, a hair coming out that he tucks in. Uh, then he, uh, then we see more tea. Like, it must be everybody, I think, uh, everybody's having tea. Oh, he watches the prison shuttle leave. Uh, and we see Tilly having tea. And she has her hair down. She's, like, got a plant and everything. Uh, She's a total chill mode, having tea with her uh, succulent plant. Uh, Captain Giorgio gets called to the uh, office. Uh, oh, no, they talk about uh, Captain Giorgio. Oh, that's who uh, Michelle Yeo played. Until uh, he says, here's something you know, nobody knows about me. I want to be a captain one day. And, you know, I just, I'm just a cadet, so I got to learn a lot of the social skills stuff. Uh, and she goes, uh, you know, you worked with Captain Giorgio. Or she goes, Giorgio. She goes, Captain Captain Giorgio. She goes, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Tilly says that. And then she sees her book. She goes, is that a book? Uh, and she goes, yeah, this is Alice in Wonderland. Uh, when I was on Vulcan, the one human uh, uh, foster parent I had, she used to read it to me. And she hands it to, to Tilly. She says, check it out. Uh, uh, it's pretty good. Uh, uh, w- warm book, uh, double question mark. Uh, then we see that the U.S. Angels Glen is no more. They uh, vaporize it. Uh, then uh, Lorca and Landry. I don't know if they have a relationship uh, or they're just friends, uh, but they actually brought the puppy on board uh, from the other ship from the Glen. So he goes, how's the new guest? How's the puppy? Is it stopped licking people obsessively? And she goes, I'll work on it, Captain. And I couldn't tell if they shared a moment or not. She goes, as you wish, kind of thing. Uh, we see the lab. Oh, lap. I, I put lap, but I mean, Lork has got some sort of scientist lab where he's got actually a, uh, a Howard the Duck anatomy sculpture. I said, that's a Howard the Duck anatomy sculpture. And a couple bullfrogs that are sitting on one another. And then Lorca turns to face the music uh, in his lab. He goes to face the puppy, actually. He says, hey, puppy, can you stop licking people unless they give you permission to lick them, please? And the puppy says, I'm only a puppy, Papa. Uh, can't do much else but kid. Actually, he calls it a kitty cat, uh, which is a mistake calling a puppy a kitty. And, uh, I think that's it. I think he turns and now he's turning to face something, uh, and the camera's following him and yeah, he's facing the window. The camera's zooming out and we're going to see the full discovery as the episode comes to a close. I think it jumps. Yeah. So, uh, it did turn out pretty sleepy. Yeah. I think that was pretty good. Uh, 
it to drift off on the uh, mycelium spores of the universe. Good night.